Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful spring day here in Wisconsin. I hear it's going to crap out again on us on this weekend. But folks, it is Thursday. We record Thursday mornings. Happy 420 day. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Wisconsin uh, continues. Just in case you weren't aware, we still don't have legalized marijuana and we continue to be losing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So we just wanted to call that out on 420 day. Also remind everybody that the governor continues to push for legalization. Uh, it is in the state budget. So if you care about that, it's one of the many reasons why you should get involved in the state budget. But before we go any further, I want to introduce Robert Craig, our executive director, Happy 420 Day, Robert Craig. Welcome. Happy 420 Day to you, Matt. <laughs> oh, it's funny to hear you say that, Robert, because I know that is not something that uh, is near and dear to your heart. But uh, Robert, I assume you, like many people, would love to see hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue, maybe for education or health care or other, other services, uh, if Wisconsin would actually legalize. Well, yeah, Matt, I was thinking that the billionaires and the wealthiest among us could use an even bigger tax break. and We could use that <laughs> revenue for that. No, no, I'm sorry. I thought I was Robin Voss. I was going to say that sounds exactly like a Robin or Voss proposal. Kevin McCarthy or Donald Trump. But um, <laughs> look, there's revenue involved, but which is important. But there's plenty of revenue that we're leaving on the table. I think the biggest thing here is that this is... Uh, violation of fundamental freedom there is it is not but marijuana is not something that should be regulated and made illegal the way it is um at all and uh, originally it was uh this all started up as a racial thing because it was seen as a as, as a black drug and so we got to get over the age of prejudice and superstition if we're going to have a real free society we need to be based this on facts I'm not, frankly, I think that abolitionism has failed in all of drugs, but marijuana is obviously ridiculous if you're going to have what we have illegal, both, both alcohol and all of the over-the-counter drugs and the prescription drugs. Let's face it, pharmaceutical industry, they're drug companies, okay? Um, but they're, they're, they're considered legitimate drugs. So whole thing's absurd. And yes, it would raise revenue, but there's so much revenue being left on the table. I don't want to, I don't want to lead with that. Sure. Sure. No, I, I hear you. Uh, no doubt about that. And just, but just for example, just to give you a scale of the revenue, that is just a piece of it over 30 million in one year annually of uh, folks that the state of Illinois tracks from Wisconsin last year alone. So there is significant revenue and unlike some of the money that's available in our state budget, it's, it comes every year. It'll be ongoing revenue. So uh, it, it, it is an important part of this. But Robert, you make a good point about the fundamental freedoms, and there's no doubt about that. So folks, happy 420 day. But Robert, I would like to move uh, to a broader topic that you just sort of highlighted in your 420 intro around uh, the just insane uh, lack of any kind of taxing contribution to the broader public civic endeavor we're involved in here of our democracy of the wealthy in corporations. And uh, this Tuesday, 
I think everybody knows your taxes were due. Uh, and we call it tax day around here. And we use that day every year to remind folks of the just grievously unfair and uh, unprogressive uh, tax system that we have in this country. Robert, tell our listeners a little bit about what we did this week and in particular a report that we released uh, this tax day and the context and importance of that report. You know, and Biden gets a lot of shade, uh, some of which he deserves. Obviously, a president is never going to be perfect. Um, but on this, he's the first president in at least half a century that's serious about making large corporations and the wealthy few pay what they owe. And this whole lie they made up about the 85,000 IRS agents it isn't 80, that's a made up number, but what they need capacity for, and they're losing it because IRS agents are retiring and understaffed, is to actually audit the wealthy because they have such armies of tax avoidance accountants and lawyers that it's almost impossible to hold them accountable with a lot, a lot more IRS capacity, which tells you what Republicans, what Fox News are doing. They're shilling for the people who want to be able to cheat on their taxes, and there's a massive amount. And so we need actually more leadership like this from Governor Evers, who wants to compete on tax cuts he'll give that are more progressive than the ones the Republicans will give, rather than get serious about revenue. Here in the state of Wisconsin, we, we gave manufacturers a huge tax break. It's called the Manufacturers and Agricultural Tax Break. It, it, it makes a lot of them tax-free, and great promises were made about how, what kind of economic growth it would cause, none of which came true. And that's the thing. If there's anyone left who's, left who's not a Fox News or a Trump zombie who actually believes that this is about some sort of economic theory, because they never test whether the Trump cuts actually work or not to claim to do what they claim they'll do about spurring investment and jobs. They go out, get on Fox News. They had a quote unquote economic expert last night on Tucker Carlson lying about it and claiming the Trump tax cuts had been an economic boon to the country. No, they've been an economic boon to the billionaires and the and the most profitable corporations. And so what the report did on tax day is pointed out that as people who work for a living, i.e. have payroll deduction, right? That's how that's the demarcation line. Are your taxes mainly paid? From your, your salary, which means they're taken out automatically, or are they investments? In other words, you don't, you're, you're so wealthy, you don't have to rely on salary, which is taxed at a lower level and which provides massive avoidance opportunities. And the complexity of the tax code is also a conspiracy for that. So we laid out a lot of big numbers as to how much Biden's billionaire's tax and his rise in the corporate income tax would fund and a whole lot of information about how over the last 50 years, the same folks have rigged the economy. So 90% of the benefit of the economic growth of the last 40 years has gone to the top 1% of the income scale, whereas in the 40 years before that, it was the most equal uh, uh, period in American history. The middle class was built because we were fairly distributing more than before, more than ever before and, and since um, income, when we had a big union movement and we had a government that was actually serious about leveling the playing field. And we need to, taking back democracy is bring that back, Matt, back, Matt, because one of the threats to democracy, which is in, inseparable from the attack on its mechanisms, 
is it's not delivering for average people. And a lot of people know that at a fundamental level, which is why they withdraw from politics, why they're cynical, why they don't believe claims of any side. Yeah, this this what you just said there, this is the fundamental piece that until we get serious about a really progressive taxation system that, you know, is fair. It, 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 you're going to continue to have a lot of people disengage from the system. Um, and I do think it's important for folks to understand this difference uh, as a progressive living here in Wisconsin, Biden's federal pr- budget, as Robert mentioned, has a wealth tax in it. It has a progressive form to start to address decades of moving away from that by both parties. and. We as progressives need to be reaching out to the governor and letting him know we are thrilled. He has said he will veto the flat tax, but we need to tell him we don't want any real tax cut that especially that goes to the wealthy in any kind of way. There should not be. We don't need tax cuts. If anything, right now, we need to set in place, especially once these one time revenues. Thank you to the federal government's you know, uh, spending, right, which was useful, helpful to people in a critical time, we need to start to set up a structure that's permanent to go forward. And the governor really ideally should have had some type of progressive taxation within it to, to battle this flat tax. But folks, please, if you have time in the next week or two, please reach out to the governor's office, let them know. Um, you want them to veto any kind of tax increase uh, or any kind of tax cut, excuse me, uh, and not just dicker around the edges on a flat tax. It's really important. It's a fundamental difference between what's moving federally uh, and what's moving here in Wisconsin. Robert? I was with the governor at a press conference yesterday that we'll get to in a, in a later segment. And when the media comes, when the governor's there, they ask him a lot of off, uh, you know, other topics when they have access to him. He was asked about flat tax and 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 latest tax proposals by Republicans. And he's kind of said, well, I haven't seen their latest proposal. I'd forward to ring them. If it's totally flat, I'll veto it, but I'll keep an open mind. So I've been concerned about this. He would accept a lot more regressive, lot flatter tax like Illinois. And I'm telling you, folks, we're going to be mobilizing to change his mind if he does that. We've already made this tax code that used to be a great progressive tax code in Wisconsin exceedingly regressive. He has the veto power. He needs to use it. Totally agree, folks. We got to we got to be engaged. Part of what we do here is make sure the governor, who is our really, quite frankly, our only agent in this drama, this political drama. And he is the one who was elected statewide and he is up against gerrymandered leaders. So it is critically important that us as progressives reach out to the governor's office and send very clear messages to put put let's put some wind in his sails on being bold uh, on on this issue and making sure that we have a, a, a much fairer tax system and don't regress. With that, though, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're, of course, all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Before we move exclusively to the state, this uh, issue, Robert, I want to talk with you. It, it, it 
it is at the intersection of federal, state, and local. And that is climate change and fighting climate change and doing it with equity. Um, there's big news, uh, stories breaking this week in the Washington Post uh, around a new Green New Deal red resolution in Congress that progressives are uh, moving. And uh, we signed on in support of this legislation. Robert, tell us more about this latest piece of legislation at the congressional level. Why is it so important uh, for progressives? Yeah, and we've known about this a couple of weeks because we have a relationship with uh, Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts's staff. This is Senator Ed Markey and Representative Ale um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, in the House. And this has been a, a lightning rod, this resolution. You would think that we were, they were introducing, you know, ending the free market, introducing, you know, a state-planned economy or something. And it's just common sense. It's radical not to support this. This is a resolution that that holds Congress accountable. Okay, it isn't even a, a a deeply detailed plan. It says what we need to achieve on what timeline, and what it says is we need to radically, dramatically reduce greenhouse emissions by uh, forty five percent by twenty thirty, net zero emissions by twenty fifty. This is what the international scientists say. We are committed to this, and we need to we need to be held. We need to hold Congress accountable to it because our emissions are increasing every day. But it says a second thing that we say all the time that since we're reopening the economy to make it sustainable, we have this huge opportunity to make it a fair, equitable economy and to address the massive economic inequality that's that's uh, that that's been advancing uh, in over the last 50 years as the wealthy and big corporations have dominated our economy and our political system with big money, and also finally address race-based inequality because really, if we really were a fair society, uh, what your ethnicity was, what your race was, what your gender was, would not have any impact on your income and your, your livelihood and your wealth and your opportunity in our society, uh, your, your level of health, everything. Uh, the fact that, they, that we have these yawning gaps, since we are very much the same species, means our system is creating these inequalities. And so there's, we need a massive new workforce to do this. And we have an opportunity to actually intervene and make this available to all the people locked out of the economy. All the all the, the the people who don't have access to good jobs, say in the north side of Milwaukee, where most African Americans in Wisconsin live, all of the people we have needlessly incarcerated who are now treated as second class citizens and can't get economic opportunity, they can all be trained as this new workforce, which we need to prevent runaway climate change and a threat to human civilization. So this is not radical. This is common sense. And if you and the the real problem is the no, we know where the Republicans are. Uh, they're the only conservative party in the developed world who's still involved in, in involved in climate denial. Okay, um, but frankly, the Democrats are unwilling to say this so boldly. But uh, Representative Ocasio Cortez makes a great point. The Green New Deal, the framework of it, what we've done. It's the inspiration behind the Inflation Reduction Act. And Biden and met, uh, and he wanted more than that. He wants more if he's reelected. 
Biden def made a huge move both on equity and on climate within the Inflation Reduction Act that's based on this framework. He won't say, for political reasons, he supports the Green New Deal. He has moved for, far towards partially taking the first big step to implementing a Green New Deal, actually. Look, this is um, critically important when you consider in the concept of this week, the Republicans in the, in the uh, House essentially laid out their vision of the world it's 180 degrees in the opposite direction. They are looking to roll back the modest things that we fought hard for in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, right? And so let's be clear about the crap that's being pulled over there uh, and how it relates to this, right? And how it stands in marked contrast to what was like essentially being introduced here in this new Green New Deal legislation and how important it is. I know there's more on this. I want to get you to talk a little bit about an event you attended yesterday that that really helps elaborate and talk about the complexity of really trying to make use of what little resources have been, you know, at least put together, cobbled together. And I say little, they are historically large from the Inflation Reduction Act and how mayors are trying to figure out how they can most take advantage of this. Tell our listeners a little more about that event and some lessons or things that you learn, takeaways that they should uh, know about. Yeah. So this was a Blue-Green Alliance event, which is a coalition of environmental groups and labor unions. And it was at the Inter International Painters and Allied Trades Union, uh, their headquarters, their training center out in Fitchburg, outside Madison. And the governor was there and uh, mayors from multiple cities. Um, including a lot of the major cities of Wisconsin. Uh, and so I'll just say there was a press conference at first that the governor participated in. And remember, I was just saying that we need to, if we're going to be serious about climate change and the radical opportunity we have on economic and racial equity and how we do it, name it. And I will say the governor, although he is the first governor to take any action on climate change in this state, which he deserves credit for, since it's about scientific certainty since the late 80s, folks, uh, that that's all good. But he didn't talk about climate at all and talked about roads and bridges and a little bit about resiliency. So I just think we need to name it because that's the point of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, President Biden is far farther in advance and wants to do more, wants to finish the job if reelected. Uh, the, the discussion with mayors, the mayors participated in a press conference, and then we had a roundtable that dug in deeper, and I, I was the one, the kickoff speaker, to frame it up for the mayors in the roundtable. And I did. I was the first to actually name it climate and the huge equity, economic equity and racial equity opportunity we have, and to say that we got a deadline, folks. We got to nearly cut emissions half by 2030. And here's the issue I laid out for the mayors. Um, and they they were they were very thoughtful. Mayors are where muddy, muddy where, where the uh, the rubber meets the road, and they are far advanced most legislators and governors on thinking about this because they have to deal with their financial issues and they have to actually build stuff and put money together. So what what I the way what I use this comparison that we know President Biden had a bolder vision. But then the way federal government money works now, it comes to a whole lot of complicated different tributaries. 
It comes through formula funding to state agencies. It comes from competitive grants. And there's all sorts of complexity. We had officials, Department of Transportation, the Public Services Commission, and the Department of Natural Resources to explain some of the complexity. And they could only just uh, scratch the surface. So I compared it to IKEA furniture making it. And I did check, Matt. IKEA is manufactured union, but has been fighting UFCW's unionization of their retail stores. So they're a union employer, but they need to improve. So you've got the vision. You know what the piece of furniture supposed to look like. Well, then you get the box, and it's all in these little pieces, <laughs> and you have to construct it to the vision. And it's People are not familiar with this analogy, Robert. I think you need to tell another one. Yeah, so, <laughs> Just um now, this work I did out in D.C. last week, and it actually is a you have to you should have good conceptual metaphors. You could substitute any child, complex yeah. child toy. Yes. So anything you have to construct and you know what it's supposed to become. Right. Which is a lot. Most things that get shipped in our society and even a lot most that don't. So um, the problem is we get piecemeal and we just talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and the things we could do with it, the thing, the money we could compete for. Uh, as little things we're doing, as opposed to we need to do this in a way that maximizes climate impact and maximizes the impact on economic equity and opportunity. And so that's how I laid it out. Uh, the mayors were very thoughtful and talked about the struggles. They are, I mean, Madison, because of this money, has built bus rapid transit, which is the cheapest way to get a much more effective mass transit system, which is more climate friendly, and all electric buses. They bought all electric buses, 46 new buses for their ma bus mass transit system. So Mayor Satya uh, Rhodes-Conway is to be, you know, complimented for that. Racine under Corey Mason has already gotten to 40% um, of its buses being uh, electric buses, which is way ahead. Like Milwaukee needs to learn from Racine and now from Madison on this. Uh, so, but they really talked about how they can't they they can't get workers. That there's a huge worker shortage already to do projects. That they can't get bidders, therefore, for projects. And it's taken so long for the federal government to promulgate the rules on Inflation Reduction Act. Mayor Mason was saying that by the time. It happens, it's more expensive, and they can't afford it. And they need a whole lot of help. We need massive investments. And we've been calling for that, like a, like subsidized employment in order to create this workforce. It doesn't exist. And the unions, the Building Trades, the Blue Green Alliance, are allied with the mayors and want to work on this together. Big question is how much uh, participation we can get from the state agencies. We need more leadership on this from Governor Evers. So, so folks, it was it was very fascinating, but I still think that we keep dodging naming the goal. If we don't name the goal, we're not going to achieve it, folks. And we have to achieve. Look, it. we'll we'll talk more about that. Uh, but I I do want to add before we go to break here, um, it also involves us. Um, we are going to be involved over the next few years, working closely with a number of mayors in our co-op regions, working locally to help implement and be as effective as we can in working with the federal and state government to be as bold as possible. And folks, this is the walking and chewing gum part of being a progressive. Um, we have got to get better at helping implement the victories and making sure we leverage them as much as possible, make sure the public understands them. This will be part of what defines the 2024 elections, this versus 
the cuts to Medicaid, Social Security, all the other things, cutting the stuff out that the Republicans are proposing. So this will be what we're swimming in. So it matters. Please join Citizen Action. Get involved in one of our co-ops. I We need to get you involved in this stuff. But folks, we'll talk more about this. We got to get to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joe Avica, Chief Steward at Kuna Mutual. He's got some information about what they're doing there in their labor organizing. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Folks, we have a very special guest with us. We're going to talk a little bit about labor, organizing, workers. We are joined by Joey Vicka. He is the chief steward at Kuna Mutual, which is based in Madison. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, big, strong supporters of organized labor and think it's central to building any kind of fair economy. Uh, Joe, the reason I asked you to come on today is because uh, it's it's getting out, certainly in Madison and other places, that you all are involved in a real tough scrap with your employer uh, in your contract, and that this is a really, really kind of seminal moment for uh, for your union, but more broadly, potentially other unions. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what's going on at Kuna Mutual and why they should uh, start to pay attention? Yeah. So to give you an idea, Kuna Mutual Group, our employer on the west side of Madison, uh, it's a financial services company that offers products and services to credit unions. Um, all across the country. We service more than 95% of the credit unions in the United States with products and services. Um, in the last 10 years, our employer has uh, also spread into the financial tech sector and has been moving away from uh, the credit union movement in a lot of ways, and they've grown significantly. Um, so uh, they've been very profitable. Um, our union is OPEIU Local 39. That's the Office of Professional Employees International Union. Uh, we've been there since the founding uh, of the company uh, back in the 1940s. Um, the company was originally founded uh, during uh, the birth of credit unions after the Great Depression. Um, it was a part of the credit union movement and reflected those kinds of values. But over the last 20 years, what we've seen is our employer take a shift away from those values uh, towards uh, you know, a more corporate banking type structure. Um, and uh, it's significantly affected how they treat us at the uh, bargaining table and how they treat our members. So in the last 20 years, for example, we've had 1,200 members uh, whose jobs have been outsourced or contracted wow. out as a result of, uh, you know, their decisions, wow. um, despite them, you know, being profitable every single year. So uh, this contract bargaining period, we really wanted to change uh, you know, the direction that uh, our company has been headed um, and, you know, build uh, build something different within our union that hasn't really existed before. Um, so we built a contract campaign. We've been bargaining with our employer for the last 14 months. Um, it's been a real struggle to get them to uh, move at the bargaining table, but we've also uh, got hundreds of members involved in actions, uh, got them engaged and feeling like, uh, this is their fight. <laughs> uh, it's all of our coworkers' fight. It's not uh, the staff of the union who run 
the union. It's not the lawyers. It's not uh, anyone outside of us. We're the union. Um, and we're bringing the fight to our company as best we can. Well, that first of all, that's outstanding to hear of the sort of what I would describe as an organizing structure where the members are taking responsibility for for their own power. Well, okay, so tell us, um, look, um, what's next? Um, this is, we know that if if things go bad, that could potentially lead to things like a strike. And these are opportunities where a lot of public support could matter. Tell us more about like, is this possible? Um, what's next for, for, for you all in, in this fight? And where might our listeners potentially be able to help y'all? Sure. Um, so yeah, we've been bargaining for 14 months. Uh, in the last four months or so, our employer has uh, dragged its feet significantly. They've stalled at the bargaining table. Um, we had to file uh, multiple unfair labor practice charges against them, um, including uh, for uh, bad faith bargaining, refusal to provide us information that they're required to provide us, uh, discrimination, retaliation, targeting, and surveillance uh, against mm -hmm. union members, um, including myself, actually, in that case. Um, and so uh, just last night, our members voted uh, whether or not to authorize an unfair labor practice strike. Oh. And we plan to announce those, uh, announce the the results of that vote publicly at a press conference in Madison uh, at the oh. Labor Temple on Monday. Okay, folks, you heard it here first next Monday. What what time will these be now? And I first, let me ask Joe, is this something you would want people if they were in the Madison area who support y'all's effort to show up? Absolutely. Anyone in the Madison area, whether you're a union member, you're a community supporter who uh, who supports labor. Um, if you are a union member, bring your union attire. Uh, oh, that's it's great. What, be, what time? Uh, Monday, 6 p.m. at the Labor Temple on South okay. Park Street. All right, folks, you heard it. It's important you get there. Joe, uh, you know, I appreciate you telling us about the specifics, you know, and what you're all experiencing. And let me also mention to our listeners uh, we are a union facility uh, at uh, Citizen Action. In fact, we are OPIU represented. So uh, we are we're proud that y'all are as organized as you are in, in this position. Um, Joe, could you tell our listeners more about how your fight fits into the broader fight that organized labor has been engaged in trying to both organize new workers and be, as you described, much more powerful, much more member-based, really getting people to find their own agency and their own power. Could you help you know, talk about how this fits in that broader context uh, and whether that is something that you all talk about? Yeah, we talk about it regularly with our members. Uh, before we even began negotiations, we invited our members to participate uh, in the John Deere strike. We had people drive down to Iowa in order to stand on their picket lines um, because of how important that was. Um, but yeah, overall, we you know what I think we're seeing is uh, there's more support for labor now than there has been in decades. Um, all of the polls show that people are are supportive of uh, organizing new unions. We've seen hundreds of Starbucks stores across the country organize. Um, we've seen Amazon. Um, we've seen graduate students, uh, Rutgers University just recently going out on strike. Um, 
actually uh, Rutgers happens to have a professor um, at Rutgers University who's planning to speak at CUNA Mutual Group in June. Uh, so we're planning on talking to their union and seeing what we can do to uh, shake things up with that regard. But uh, overall, I think what's important to note is that there's a sentiment among, among workers right now, uh, generally speaking, uh, to want to be involved in a process of building, uh, you know, building power in our workplace and feeling like uh, we are, you know, the people who can make change rather than some, some outside factor uh, coming to save us. So thanks for joining us, Joe. I think sometimes people get a, think this is easier than it is. Uh, don't realize all the way the system is now rigged against workers. And this was a system that was designed to promote organizing and it's been perverted without being repealed by Congress. This is an example of how the power of business year after year, decade after decade asserts itself. But in your case, you were fired, which is supposed to be illegal, but you need to consider that a cost of doing business. And the, the, the penalties, the, the, the gains for them are greater than the penalties that the, the protect the right to organize act that was held up by the filibuster. As long as President Biden would change that and make the penalties much more reasonable, um, serious and deterring, for example. Yeah. Notice we're well, be tough on crime with folks who uh, have the least in our society. We allow rampant lawbreaking by corporations. And but you have this advantage, you at least have a big concentration of workers. I mean, the the challenge facing like Starbucks organizing is vast, given how the workers are spread out in so many thousands and thousands of coffee shops. Have you seen, um, because there's obviously been a lot of different workers who don't have unions showing a lot of bravery in Starbucks and Amazon, other places, have you seen a change in the temper of the workers at Kuna Mutual? where we're in this kind of moment where a lot of workers, even ones who are represented, are ready to take this on and change our society, change the balance between uh, big corporations and their workers? Yeah, I I have. Uh, very honestly, what what I feel like I'm seeing at CUNA Mutual Group, which is, is definitely taking place broadly uh, among workers across the United States, is that people are less are feeling far less reliant on uh, the labor laws that are supposed to be there in order to protect us and far more reliant on themselves and their coworkers for collective power and collective unity. Um, you know, we filed ULP charges against our employer for uh, all of the different illegal acts that they're engaged in. And those are called uh, unfair labor practice charges, yes. right? ULP, right, go yes. ahead. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we expect that, that the National Labor Relations Board will uh, deter make determinations in our favor, but it could take months. And we may already be past the point of uh, bargaining by the time they make those determinations. And so the biggest thing that we can do for ourselves in this moment is uh, authorize an unfair labor practice strike against our employer and take that self-help uh, that the law actually still does uh, provide for us, luckily, um, those additional protections that we have in engaging in an unfair labor practice strike um, give our coworkers the opportunity to, you know, take the power into our own hands rather than leave it up to uh, some other entity. Folks, you heard it right there. This is not easy. I want to remind everybody we are 
quote the, I hate the term, a right to work state, which means it's hard. It, re it requires a lot of work by uh, union members to get organized. And so when a facility like Joe's does that work, we have to have their backs. So I'm really encouraging anyone in the Madison area, please, next Monday, 6 p.m., go to the scuffle. That's right, scuffle, South Central Federation of Labor, and support these folks in their announcement. Nobody throws a media conference if it isn't good news. Please, we need to, we need to have everybody's back. Uh, this will be very important. Uh, we, Joe, we're going to have you back on or somebody else, whoever y'all choose to represent yourself uh, later on to keep us updated, keep us informed as to how we can help, how we can support if you all uh, uh, do decide uh, to, to either go on strike or any kind of action you have against your employer. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, we, we really appreciate what you all are doing. It is the absolute fundamentally important thing in our democracy is is efforts like this thank you so much joe thank you folks with that we got to take a break you're listening to the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we're all over the socials folks facebook instagram twitter so we'll be right back after this break Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Wow. That was, um, folks, that was powerful stuff before from Joe. Uh, I just, I want to underscore, please. We need to, as I said at the end, we got to have Joe and all of those workers backs. So if you can make it on Monday at 6 p.m., please go and we'll continue to track this. But uh, Robert, I want to give you an opportunity. I don't know if you have any further reflections on the Joe conversation, but after that, I do want to jump right back into our conversation about uh, the Green New Deal introduction, what the mayors and talking about this and any role and any thoughts you have as to people in, in our agency. Robert, first, your thoughts on any of those two wonderful topics we've had. Yeah, I mean, Joe's interview stands on its own i will say that everything we want to do depends on us getting involved look at how brave joe has been he's now lacks a job because of the, his bravery and his co-workers are to take on a big fortune 500 company we need to be able to take on democracy just being on the sidelines giving five dollar contributions when nancy pelosi emails you or uh, listening to MSNBC and podcasts, that's all great, but we all, it's a, it's a, it's a participatory sport. The way democracy works is mass involvement. And so I think we should all learn a lesson from Joe and his coworkers at Kuna Mutual and, and the other, the workers who are part of OPIU Local 39. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Robert, I do want to, you know, pick up on this whole idea around our agency um, because we have a huge state budget fight that's right on us. It's on us, right? Joint Finance Committee hearings are going. There's uh, the final one will be in Manaqua on uh, next Wednesday. And I know you're going to be there uh, and we have been there and we will continue to be there. There's going to be a lot of activity after. 
But um, one of the one of the big issues that is a part of the state budget, and I want to get your comments because there was uh, news that broke today, is uh, f- funding for education. And we generally often, you know, our first thing is K through 12 that we think of, but college, you know, post K-12 is super important. It's fundamental to what kind of economy we're going to have. In America, uh, in Wisconsin, right, we are famous for the Wisconsin idea and our our amazing UW system. Well, Robert, there was some pretty uh, staggering news about how uh, that system has fallen in terms of certainly its resource, where it is now literally just like slightly above average when it used to be... uh, you know, we're a national leader in our investment in the university system and public education because of its benefits uh, to the democracy and to our powerful economy. Robert? No, and if you pull the tech colleges out, which are model things that need to be better funded as well, our university system, our UW system is, our state funding is 43rd in the country. So we're now rivaling, you know, laggard states like Mississippi and Arkansas and places like that. And that's outrageous because the history of Wisconsin, a lot of the cause of its prosperity was early on in the history of the state, we built up the University of Wisconsin. Um, It became the whole basis for the progressive movement. The Wisconsin idea came out of academics at University of Wisconsin working with reformers. And it influenced the progressive era and the New Deal many ways came out of the thoughts that were here in Wisconsin. And we, not the biggest state in the world, ended up with one of the top public universities in the country because of those investments. And this tells you what Republican rule has been under Scott Walker. We've gone from being a national leader for over a century, right, with huge benefits that we're all proud of. The reason I moved to the state is for what was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison when I pursued a PhD, um, they've undermined it massively. And it's still decently ranked because running on fumes, it has a lot of faculty, but that will eventually, it'll fall behind because states like Georgia and Florida are investing in their public universities. I mean, when I was a kid looking for colleges in the 80s, the Southern schools, the Southern public schools were all much lower ranked than the than the ones, say, the Big Ten schools or the California or New York public schools. That's not the case anymore. Places like Florida and Georgia have shot up in the rankings because of huge investments. And they're, they're now, Georgia has almost overtaken Wisconsin and will because they're investing in the University of Georgia. We're not investing in the University of Wisconsin. So there's another reason, now that we have a real Supreme Court we need fairer maps, and then we need to freaking get off the sideline, work our tails off, because we need to actually invest in our higher education system. It is an engine in the future. Now, there is good news that we're fifth per student in funding for the tech colleges. The problem is, as the leaders pointed out in response to this study, they're comparing us to community colleges, and we have a better model. We provide a much more fundamental education that prepares people for actual jobs than community colleges do, though they do some of that. And so it's a more expensive model. So it's not clear we're comparing apples to apples on that, but it is clear the tech college system is also something that Wisconsin invented and is unique and needs to be preserved. One of the reasons that it's still better funded, relatively speaking, than UW system, according to the study from the Public Policy Forum, 
is that they also rely on property taxes, which is a local option. So anyone who relies on state revenue, forget it. They're cutting that for what? Going back to the beginning of the episode, Matt, to give more, even more tax cuts than the unnecessary tax cuts they already gave for big corporations and for the wealthiest among us. Absolutely, Robert. Thank you so much for that update. And I will add one thing as it relates to the tech schools. They are, Robert's right, they're an absolute jewel in this state. Uh, We need to continue to invest in them. They have some of the best educators uh, you can get at any level. Uh, They're organized. And that also, I would argue, probably plays a role in both why they're well-funded. They're some of the top educators and they have a very powerful union. And folks, that is a lesson back to uh, the previous conversation about Joe and the power of organized folks. Uh, There's a lot of uh, educators who have invested a lot of time and energy into both their union, but also to that tech system and fighting for those resources in state budget fights every time they come up. So it speaks to that. Um, Robert, before I make a transition, um, I do want to add one thing that I see parallels uh, since we had Joe Avica on. I want to just flag, and we'll talk more about this as we get more details. But Robert, I saw a news story today around uh, the Republicans and their insatiable, just, you know, just retribution, you know, um, power is for using against your enemies. Um, You should not be held accountable to the same laws that everybody else is. All of that. I just, we'll get more information, but I did see that uh, the Republicans are going after John Tate uh, in Racine. John is a former uh, city council member. He has been a longtime leader on thinking about how we should reform the criminal justice system in particular, but also reform our uh, police structures and is a former, uh, as I said, city council member in Racine, uh, but they're going after him. We'll have more details. I'll have a link to you know, the details behind what's going on and we'll talk more about it, but um, just wanted to uh, shout out uh, to John. Uh, uh, this is clearly an effort to go after you as someone who uh, clearly uh, is going to try to reform our criminal justice system, but most importantly, police accountability. But we'll talk more about that. Robert, what I want to get your response to, I was struck when Joe was talking about what is happening in the insurance industry and talking about what happened to Kuna uh, Mutual and how it used to, its history and its legacy is connected to the credit union movement. How similar what he's experiencing with his industry, it is to the healthcare system and the provision and the provider system of the nonprofit hospital industrial complex and how it has this legacy, many of it, you know, due to we're linked to churches and, you know, uh, sort of a real commitment to the idea of public health and and, and many of them providing it uh, in areas most needed. Uh, there's been on a fairly similar timeline over the last 20, 30 years, just a rapid move away from that to a, a healthcare system that is increasingly operates like a for-profit system. And uh, we're seeing that in Milwaukee. We've talked about what's been going on with Ascension and what they are doing at both St. Francis, St. Mary's, and five years ago at St. Joe's. Robert, please update our listeners about this news. And in particular, this week, there was news in terms of the Milwaukee Common Council taking some action. Ascension is a massive uh, 
uh, chain of hospitals. They've been buying up hospitals just the way big corporations do, even though their structure is a nonprofit. And they are acting like a for-profit. They have $8 billion in reserves, but their whole business model clearly is they've been reducing staffing, uh, trying to get the, the greatest return, and they've been closing down capacity in major cities, Washington, D.C., Detroit, many places, and going out to the suburbs, building big, fancy new buildings, including here in Milwaukee, because they can get private pay there and make more money. These are still, they're not taxed. Uh, because they are structured as charities, they get a billion dollars a year in benefit from being structured as a nonprofit, and, they, and that's, that's supposed to be in return for acting in the public to public benefit, and they don't do it. So in Milwaukee, they they not only tried a couple of years ago to close down the uh, last critical access hospital in the African American community in Milwaukee, which is where most African Americans in Wisconsin live, that was stopped because of an outcry, but they been stealthily downsizing it and reducing its capacity so it's not really a comprehensive hospital at St. Joe's. St. Francis, they are now are closing on the south side the uh, labor and delivery unit. This is when they build huge new facilities in the suburbs, okay, at the same time. And, you know, as the uh, president of the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, the union that represents the workers at St. Francis, told me she was at St. Michael's and they closed it suddenly a decade and a half, a decade ago. And at that time, she said, within a year and a half of closing the labor and delivery unit, they closed St. Michael's Hospital. And that was on the north side in the African-American community. I used to live near it, near Lincoln Park. And so this is what's going on. The city council stood up and passed a very strong resolution order asking them to stop and to start opting the public interest. But as I said at the press conference, and I got quoted on this, this is only the beginning. We need to actually use actual leverage, Matt. You know, Tommy Thompson uh, pushed with the Hospital Association deregulating hospitals, getting rid of all of our leverage because they'd compete and it would all be in our interest. Now is a lie. And there's no accountability once a lie is implemented like that. No one comes around and says Hospital Association lied to us. So we need the governor, we need the attorney general. Uh, mayors like the mayor of Milwaukee to actually find leverage, and you can find leverage if you're if you're if you're um, actually dedicated to it, and you actually want to play hardball. I think city of Milwaukee should just send them a tax bill and yeah, fight. Yeah, come on, that's my first thought. These are their tax structures are their ultimate vulnerability, and we ought to use it because that is what a democracy should do when the accountability seems a wall. Robert. We got to end this show, though. I really appreciate you updating on this. This is super important. What a show. Great show, folks. Um, if you're in the Madison area, again, please go check out the folks at Cooney Mutual, OPIU Local 39 at 6 p.m. on Monday night in Madison at the Scuffle at the South Central Federation of Labor. Big announcement on their fight against Cooney Mutual. And thank you, Joe, for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.